Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel and Hooksit. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. If you're being encouraged or challenged by this teaching, would you consider giving us a five-star review? That review and rating moves us up the list so others might find us more easily so they too can benefit from this podcast. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. All right, <clears throat> we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about what's going on in the world today. It's a little crazy out there, huh? Anybody shopping for toilet paper? <laughs> now, let me tell you something. We're watching you. If I see you raiding our closets here and grabbing toilet paper, you're going to have to answer to, to Ron Anstey. He's going to... Now, on a serious note, I mean, if you are using your hands to wipe at home, please, we'll give you some toilet paper. But other than that, you know, it's, it's insane out there. There's a, there's a lot of fear, isn't there? Um, before I realized how much mass hysteria was going to break out, my wife has the flu. She does not have the COVID-19 virus. We called her physician, they told her to stay home um, and not come into the doctors and that she just has the regular flu. So I will not be shaking anyone's hand today or really being in close interaction with anyone. So I'm trying to be a dutiful husband and help out around the house and I decided to go grocery shopping like Thursday, I think it was. I don't do groceries because our bill goes from like, you know, $200 for our family of four to like $500. Now, that's exaggeration, but man, I walked into the supermarket and it was a zoo. It was like Thanksgiving or, you know, the blizzard of 78 was coming. It was insane. I'm, I'm like, oh, I'll grab some Lysol. You know, Trish is sick. Gone. And notes, don't take more than five per person per day. And I'm like... What is happening? So we want to address that today. We want, we want to talk a little bit about fear. And, and we're, we're in the middle of a series called As He Is. And you may not believe it, but I already had most of this written, especially in my head, before this COVID-19 um, became as uh, extreme as it is. Uh, I'm also dealing with some abdominal pain, so if you'll excuse me if I lean. 1 John chapter 4, will you turn there? By the way, if you have the Bible app by YouVersion, um, our sermon is on the Bible app. You can follow along, take notes if you've, if you've uh, <clears throat> registered. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Church, y'all hear that? There's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. In the emails I sent out to the church last week, I also reminded you that in 1 Timothy, God reminds us through the letter of Paul to his associate Timothy that God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love 
casts out. Fear, in particular, the fear of judgment, but perfect love casts out fear. This morning, the world has once again awoken in fear. Fear of the unknown as well as what we are beginning to know. Fear that we aren't doing enough. Fear that our economy will collapse. Fear that those we love may well die. Fear, torment, loss. And into this vacuum of fear, the church must rise. We must love our brothers and our sisters in Christ, and we must love our communities well. We must operate without fear. We must be willing to lose our lives for the cause of Christ in order to find them. We must rise up into the void and we must shine a light of love so brightly that those who are terrified are drawn to that light, the Lord of light, Jesus himself. And in order to shine this light into this darkness that our country is now enveloped in and indeed the world, we must love well. We must love well. Last week as we started this sermon, I ended with that challenge to the church that we need to love well. And this week I want to talk about what that looks like. What does it look like for the church to love well? There's a, there's a theme in Paul's writings and in John's writings concerning love versus fear. When Paul said God has given us a spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. Folks, we, we don't have a spirit of fear from God, but we do have a spirit of love. I want to talk about how love can cast out fear. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 8. We're going to begin reading. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called. If you're a believer in Jesus this morning, you have a calling on your life. If you are a believer in Jesus this morning, you have a hope in your life that no one else has. Death holds no terror for people who know Jesus and are walking in the Spirit. Now, we can, we can forget and we can get caught up in things and we can begin to fear if that weren't so, God would not have written in his book that we ought not to fear. He reminds us that we're flesh, we're blood, and we have a tendency to slip up and to fall back into our old ways. But the reality is, with Jesus, we have hope. This church has been walking with my family for a long time concerning our eldest. We received some news this week that is not favorable and actually dealing with the whole COVID-19 virus has been a great distraction from um, the newest trial that my wife and I are facing. But the reality is that even though we face a great personal trial in my family, and as a nation we're facing a great national trial, we still are not without an incredible reservoir of hope. In fact, the reservoir of hope doesn't have a bottom. It will never run dry. Now, as human beings, we, we tend to go to extremes, and I felt this week, particularly last week when I learned of the latest developments, that I felt as though I was walking on a tightrope, a razor. And I felt like that I was either going to fall over on one side into despair and depression or the other side into hope and love. And the more I considered what was happening, the more I realized that the enemy is fighting the church, the more angry I got. See, anger is not a bad emotion. People misunderstand 
we, we tend to think of anger as a negative emotion. It's an emotion that God gave you to respond to injustice and to respond to things with enough energy. And the anger I felt was directed at Satan. Not at the situation. Certainly not at my wife. Not at physicians, doctors. Not at staff. And certainly not at my, my daughter. But at the enemy. Who is trying to tear down what God is building up. And as I began to observe these things. I realized that I am going to choose to come down on the side of hope. I don't have to come down on the side of despair. I don't have to allow anxiety and fear to rule over me. I can make a choice to recognize that God has never abandoned me, although He has called me to walk through some horrific times. He has walked through them with me. And church, let me tell you something. He's going to walk through this national crisis with us. And it is a calling for the church to rise up and to recognize that we're not supposed to be sitting comfortable on our laurels and only doing what's convenient to get us through week to week. The church has historically stepped into crises and been the blessing to the world at large. You look at World War II and look at some of the heroes who weren't just soldiers, but were people running underground railroads, if you will, back in World War II, helping Jews to escape Nazi Germany. I'm telling you, the church has risen up at great cost to themselves, at great risk to themselves, to minister to the world. And I want to challenge us to love well. Let's read. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, if you know Jesus, walk worthy of the calling to which you were called. With all lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering, bearing with one another, and there's that word again, love. Bearing with one another in love. You can't escape love when you begin to read the Bible. He's calling us to love well, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. But to each one of us was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Love well. We're going to talk a little bit about the gifts that God gave to men, but before we can talk to them, I talk about them rather, we need to talk about loving well. I want you to recognize something as we went through that passage of Scripture. He's calling the church to walk worthy, and he, he, he exemplifies what a worthy walk is. What a worthy walk is, a walk of humility. He says, to be lowly and gentle. A worthy walk is a gentle walk. A worthy walk is a walk ready to suffer long. Right? A worthy walk is a walk that bears with one another. The Bible says in 1 Peter, love, here it is again, that word love, it just keeps coming up. Love covers a multitude of sin. Love covers a multitude of sin. A worthy walk is a walk of love. In fact, when Jesus said, what are the two greatest commandments? Love God first, most, and best, and others as yourself, your neighbor as yourself. And then the Apostle Paul extrapolated on that as well in Romans. And he said, listen, the greatest commandment is love. Because for the sake of love, you're not going to lie. For the sake of love, you're not going to murder. For the sake of love, you won't commit adultery. And all of these other laws are bound up in that one law of love. See, love is the most important thing. 
And to love well is something that we need to learn. Wednesday night, we have a pastor's Bible circle. It's a large group Bible circle. We sing a worship song, and we, we dive a little deeper into our Sunday sermons on Wednesday night. They get to see what's under the water. So when you come on a Sunday morning, a lot of times what you see is like an iceberg. You see the tip. You see, you see what's being presented publicly, but most of the study, a lot of the support is under the surface. And so on Wednesday night, we get to dive a little deeper on what happened on Sunday. And so this Wednesday, I asked the church, um, asked the church a couple of questions. What does loving well look like? And, and do we do that here at Emmanuel? What do, what do you think? And I got some good responses. I want to share them with you this morning. One, a love well is a, loving well is a warm welcome. And it seems silly, but I don't think it is. I think it's a genuine welcome when people come into this church. There is a sincere welcome. That's one of the ways that we love well. We welcome people of all races, all different stripes, we welcome people of different political parties. No, it's true. I mean, I'm sure there's a Democrat in this church. I'm positive there's a Republican. And knowing Emmanuel, there's probably a heck of a lot of independents because you guys are bloody independent. We love well. We, we, we welcome people that sin differently than us. Now, we call sin, sin, but we welcome people that sin differently. And listen, Christians have a bad rap of being condemning and judging. And there's nothing more unchristlike than when you are self righteous and condemning others. In fact, he said, love essentially is what keeps the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Today, I don't know, I'm going to. Um, I'm going to sit down because I'm just not comfortable. <clears throat> Love keeps unity. Today, there are, you guys might have to adjust that camera. Um, great for the live stream. Let's just mess everything up today. <sighs> That's a little better. Um, there are many churches across the country that are not open today. I read on Facebook a man condemning churches for closing their doors, calling them out as churches that had a lack of faith. And I thought, well, I can't tell you what I thought, not from the pulpit, because that's probably not appropriate, and there's children present, but <clears throat> you know what I thought. Uh, and fortunately, his pastor corrected him um, church, love allows for differences of opinion. Humility says to me that the church down the street that decided not to open today, that's a decision they made after great deliberation. We stayed open after great deliberation. This was not an easy decision. I know you're all sitting there thinking, piece of cake. Uh, we're still not sure what we're going to do next week. We don't want to go to extremes and allow fear to dictate us, but the, second, the third part of God has given us a spirit of power, the third part of that is sound mind. You follow what I'm saying? Power, love, and a sound mind. So at some point, reason may dictate a restriction of access to this place. By the way, that's loving well. And the churches that didn't open their doors, they did it because they wanted to love well. The churches that opened their doors, they did it because they wanted to love well. And we shouldn't be sitting in condemnation on any church that made whatever decision they made. And that's an embarrassment to Christianity. Now, uh, this, is, this is the rub. If I decide with my, my staff, our leadership staff, that you chose... If we make a decision not to open next week to the public and have a public service, some of y'all are going to condemn us. That's not loving well, by the way. That's not being humble. That's not having a bond of peace. Honestly, that's being arrogant. We need to love well. We need to be humble. 
We need to recognize that those that are in authority, both publicly, privately, and spiritually, are wrestling with things that are not easy to understand and problems that are not easy to solve. Loving well means giving each other the benefit of the doubt, bearing up with one another, and when, when decisions are made that we don't agree with, loving each other anyways. When we're disappointed, we learn to say, oh well. Those are two words, if my kids are in the sanctuary, that I have tried to train my kids to learn from pretty much the time they could talk, was these two words. Oh well. Oh well. You know what I'm saying? Like there's disappointment. Oh well, can't go to Disney. Oh well. You're not getting a bike for your birthday. Oh well. Handling disappointment with a, with a, with a peaceful attitude. Loving well, loving well. So a warm welcome, a genuine concern. This was one that I really loved on, on Wednesday night. Someone brought this up that when, uh, this is how they put it, um, and, and this is what I loved about this. It's a new person to our church. It's brand new, and he said, I love that when, when somebody asks you how you're doing, they really, I think it was a new person. I, I might be confused who said it, but they said, um, when somebody approaches you and, say, and says, hey, how are you doing? They actually want to hear the answer. You follow? How are you doing? Most of the time, the answer is, how are you doing? Right? In our church, loving well means caring about the answer. And when somebody approaches you and says, how's it going? They really mean it. How are you doing? And they, they will take time to listen to the answer. That's loving well. Loving well is a genuine concern, caring about the people. Loving well, uh, one of our newer members, she's been here for about three years, she said, is, is going above and beyond the call of duty by helping through difficult circumstances. In this case, it was a person with a head injury, traumatic head injury, that bright lights and loud noises and crowds were incredibly difficult to this young person. And our church loved her well by giving her space, by walking with her, just helping her to feel accepted and cared for, and understanding that she had limitations because of her medical injury, her injury. Um, that's loving well. Genuine conversation, overlooking faults is loving well. And finally, from that passage, humility is loving well. Humility is loving well. And before Paul gets into the end of that passage where he talks about Jesus uh, led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. Before he gets into the idea that Jesus gave gifts to men, he reminds us that we need to love well. Using your gifts without love is empty. And church, I'm going to challenge you to use your gifts, but you must use them with love. Romans chapter 12, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, verse 3 to 13. For I say through the grace given to me, to every one of you, everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. There is that humility once again. Don't think of yourself more highly. He goes on, for as many, for as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function. So the function of your leadership in this case is to make a decision on what to do next week, to make a decision on what to do with our Bible life circles, to make a decision on what to do with children's ministries. These are decisions that you've invested the authority into your leadership. That's our place in the body. Not everyone has the same function. And we may call members of the body that have expertise in these types of developments to aid us in making these decisions, right? Makes sense? Uh, but not everybody has the same function. Moving on. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts, God, remember now, Jesus gave gifts to those who are believers. Those who are worthy are those who have trusted Christ and everyone who has trusted Christ has been given a gift, differing according to the grace that is given to us. 
Each one of us has been given a gift. These gifts are varied, okay? I have the gift of pastor-teacher. Some of you may dispute that, but most people won't. I have the gift of pastor-teacher. Um, I, I have the gift, I believe, of ministries, which is helps. Uh, and so we each have a gift, and these gifts are different. And the challenge from God to us is don't just sit on your gifts doing nothing. This is part of the problem with, with people that don't believe in the local church and have abandoned organized religion. You're not operating in your giftedness to build up the church of Jesus Christ. God has poured gifts into you and intends for you to be a member of one another. Look at that. Members of one another. Not separated, but of one another. The Bible teaches that each member provides something to the church so that the church may edify itself, and here's the word again, in love. That's again in Ephesians chapter 4. So we're members in particular, we have, we have gifts that have been given to us according to the grace of God, and we have a challenge to use them. Now, I'm not going to get in today, I'm not going to get into today whether or not the sign gifts are still in operation today. Uh, we may talk about that in the future as we begin to discuss the place and role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But here's a list. Prophesy. If we're prophesying, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Prophesying is to tell forth the Word of God. Those that are, that, are, that are theologically continuationists, they believe that that means telling the future, giving a Word of God to someone. Those that are cessationists, which is typically what Baptist churches are, they would say that is to tell forth the Word of God as it has already been written. In both cases, it is to proclaim the Word of God in both cases, what you are proclaiming is subject to the written word of God. Make sense? And he says, prophesy according to the proportion of your faith. Some preachers, listen, they'll never be lead pastors in a church. That's not the proportion of their faith. They'll be support pastors. They'll be pastors of ministries. Follow? Uh, and you, so you minister according to the proportion of faith that God has given to you. God has given me the faith to pastor a church, to lead the church, okay? That's my proportion. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministry. That is helps, that is serving others, okay? I, I want to tell you, I, I'm so proud of our cleaning ministry. My sister-in-law leads our cleaning ministry. I met with Cindy Saturday morning at 11, and Pastor Crispin, who pastors our sister church uh, from the Congo, who uses our building, he called me and he said, we want to take part in, uh, in sanitizing the church and, and things of that nature. And so we met with Crispin and, and we started to talk to Cindy about what, what are protocols and making sure that we're wiping down all hard surfaces, doorknobs, handles. And this is what Cindy told me, which I thought was fantastic. She's like, we are already doing that every Saturday. So I didn't even have to tell her what to do. They've already been doing it. And the chemicals that we're using are hospital-grade chemicals that they'll use in the operating rooms and in the ER. So we have the right stuff and are doing the right things. That's a ministry. That's the service ministry. She is, she is using her gift of ministering to our church. Follow? And her capacity is to lead this cleaning ministry and to come out here and do this. He who teaches, you ought to be teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation, that's my other gift. He who gives with liberality. He who leads, that's my third gift, with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil. Cling to that which is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Remember, he's talking about using your gifts. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. Are we in a tribulation right now, y'all? Patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in 
prayer. I, I, I know that some of our response to what's happening in our world today is that we're going to have times and seasons of prayer here, okay? Um, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality, and this leads us to our new ministry, our care and compassion ministry. Our care and compassion ministry. Uh, a, a few weeks ago, maybe a month or two ago, I began to recognize that, that there was an area that we could do better in as a church. And that area was care and compassion. That we try to take care of our membership as best we can through our Bible Life Circle groups, our small group ministry. That's typically where people are plugged in, right? Makes sense. So if you're part of a small group, it makes sense that the leader of that group is going to know when you're sick. The leader of that small group is going to know when you're struggling financially. The leader of that small group is going to know when you're facing a trial. And through that small group, you'll be ministered to, and they will um, give information up the line. Hey, by the way, Circle leaders, are you listening to this? You will give information up the line to Peter, our discipleship pastor, who as necessary will share it with me so that we can provide help in time of need. Part of the problem is with 60% of our membership and regular attenders in small groups, that leaves 40% that are not. And we can do better caring for the 40%. Now, I want to challenge those of you that are in that 40% to join a small group because I believe that is the very best way for you to grow in grace, for you to learn how to use your gifts, for you to minister to others, and for you to be ministered to is through joining a small group. Barring that, some can't. There are some that physically, they just are unable to, to give that extra time. And so we wanted to create this care and compassion ministry for people that, that need to be loved well, that are not connected well. Y'all with me? Okay. So this passage, in remarking about the gifts of the Spirit, I want you to realize what he says. As he's winding down the gifts of the Spirit, as he's winding down these gifts, and it's not an exhaustive list, it's an ex exemplative list. In other words, there's more gifts than he points out here. He says this, let love be without hypocrisy and be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. Church, it keeps coming up and up and up and up. We need to love well. And one of the ways that we love well is by being the blessing to each other, by interacting with one another on a Sunday morning. In particular, if you're not in a small group, finding someone in this church that you can interact with is absolutely vital. He challenges the church to be unified, and unity in the church that that united spirit is evidence of a church that loves well. A church that loves well will avoid division, will, will overcome division when the church loves well. You see, division is not marked by disagreement. I think that's a problem that a lot of people misunderstand. They think unity is lockstep and division is disagreement. And in fact, that's one of the plagues on our society today is, is if someone says, I disagree with you, they look at you and say, why do you hate me? Anyone been on Facebook lately? We get into tunnel vision and we only associate with people that agree with us. And people that disagree with us, we mark as haters, or Karens, or boomers, or millennials, or Gen Zers. And we separate, and we segregate, and we destroy the fabric of our society. And it doesn't belong in the church. There's no boomers in this church. There's no millennials, no Gen Z. This is the body of Christ. And each one respects and cares and loves for the other one, regardless of the generation that they belong to. 
That's an admonition and maybe a little rebuke. I was on Twitter this week. Trending on Twitter, boomer remover. That's what they're calling COVID-19 because it's essentially fatality rate is higher among that generation. The elderly with heart and lung complications, cardiac and respiratory complications are the ones that are passing away. And these little fools thought it would be funny to make a trending hashtag, Boomer Remover. Doesn't belong in the church, guys. Man, if you're putting that on your Twitter, your Facebook, your TikTok, your Snapchat, shame on you. Shame on you. The Bible says we ought to respect the hoary head. Churches that are neglecting and not caring for the elderly generation, shame on you. Shame on you. Because the Bible says we ought to respect the hoary head. It says the older should be teaching the younger. And when you kick the older out, who's teaching the younger? Shame on you. And by the way, I think of myself as the younger. I know you all are looking at me and you're like, dude, you're in that at-risk factor. I feel like it today, but I'm not, okay? So this passage stresses unity. It stresses humility. It stresses um, putting divisions to the, to the side. Spiritually mature people do not focus on disagreements. They focus on agreements. They strive to walk together. Spiritually immature people are arrogant, demand their own way. Um, but those who love and those who love well are humble and kind. They seek unity, not at the expense of sound doctrine, but certainly at the expense of their preferences. Right? Unity at the expense of preference is beautiful because it's humility. It's meekness. It's restrained strength. I could throw a fit, but I choose to restrain myself. That's, that's humility. That's meekness. Okay? This morning we're in the midst of a national crisis, one that's going to require the church to rise up, to be healthy and ready to step into, the, this, to step into this uncertainty with love, with power, and with a sound mind. If there's anyone in the world that should not be panicking today, it should be the church. If there's anyone in the world that should not be freaking out, it should be the church. Listen, it's reasonable to buy groceries. It's reasonable to get a few extra things because you may go into quarantine. But do you know what, church? Can I tell you something? If someone in this church is required to go into quarantine and you didn't get enough toilet paper, do you think you would have no one to call? Do you think there would be no one to reach out to who would help you? How foolish is that? How foolish is that? That's where the sound mind comes in. It'd be reasonable. Leave some for other people. But if you get into a situation where you're, you're going through this quarantine and you're 10 days in and you realize, oh my gosh, I don't have enough groceries. Is there no one you could call? If you're a part of this church or you're even in the, in the sanctuary this morning, can I tell you something? You can call this church. Matter of fact, I sent out the email, and in the email, I included the cell phone numbers of all of the senior leaders, well, our deacons and our pastoral staff, with their approval. Why? Because we want to be the blessing. Ron Anstey, arguably the person that has the most experience with dealing with these types of crisis and his experience as a firefighter, fire marshal, and in building the safety department of the London Fire Department, he's on vacation this past week. While I'm trying to discern what we should do, I called him while he was on vacation. Now, I try not to bother our leadership when they're on vacation. I figured this is an emergency. And he was not in the least bit grumpy. He didn't look like his expression at all. He was very kind. Glad that I called. We had a good discussion. Everyone was in agreement. Folks, if you run into a situation where you're struggling, you have someone to call. In fact, here's how we love well. 
You are the person to call. Like church, it's saying all about the leadership. You rise up, membership. You all rise up. Matter of fact, you're going to need to. If things progress as they did in Italy, which I don't believe it will here, but we just don't know. People are going to need that kind of assistance. They're going to need people that are willing to go to their house and bring groceries to them, pick up prescriptions for them. My mother and father went out to get my mom's heart med yesterday, and they went to Walmart, and it was a zoo. So I called my, I called my mom, like, hey, I'm just checking in because you're the at-risk population. And my mom does. She has, a, she has an enlarged heart. My dad's had some lung issues, and they stayed home today. And I thought that they should. Not condemn. How dare you stay home? You should come to your son's church service. What's wrong with you? No, we don't condemn. We love. We love well. And yes, it's my mom and my dad. And I said, whatever you need, you got to let me know if you need something because I'll be there. Church, this is what I'm calling for the care and compassion ministry. Some of you all, you have some gifts. You have gifts that are perfectly suited for the care and compassion ministry. This is a calling for you who have the gift of mercy, administration, and ministries, those three gifts, to rise up and to step into this new ministry. And I'm going to explain to you in a minute what it looks like. This is not your typical Sunday morning message. So while I was preparing for this message, honestly, I was thinking mostly for caring for our body well, for caring for that 40% that's not connected. And then as this crisis hit our country, I realized, hmm, we need to do more than just care for our body. We need to care for our community well. And so I want to talk a little bit about this. What does this look like? How do we love others well? How can we be compassionate and caring. Well, one of the ways that we're doing it, one of the ways that we're doing it is I have already contacted the hooks at police and fire. Went over there and I said, I just want you to have a resource. Here's my card. If there are families that are in quarantine who have a need, groceries, meds, whatever it is, you call us. You call us. We will We'll go to the, if we got a suit up in a hazmat thing, I mean, honestly, it's the flu guy. No, it's not. I'm sorry. If we got a suit up in a hazmat and a mask and, and go, whatever we have to do to be the blessing to our community, we have a church of 100 and roughly 150 adults. We will do that. We will do it. So I put you, uh, by the way, I did that without asking you first. So. Kind of hoping some of y'all with that gift of mercy, administration, and ministers will join this group. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to be driving, maybe, who knows, a lot. We'll see what happens. But this is one of the ways that we, we love our community well. Can you go down a community, bro? Give me the community. Or I will. Oh, you did. Ah! <clears throat> so loving our community well means that the administrator, if you have the gift of administrations, and simply the gift of administration is very similarly tied to the gift of leadership, except you're an organized leader. If you have the gift of administration, it means that people will look at you and they will be like, I cannot believe how organized you are. Make sense? Like, I mean, there's people that are organized, and then there's my sister-in-law, Stephanie. Stephanie. My sister-in-law, Stephanie, I'm convinced, has a gift of administration. She's incredibly organized, incredibly detailed. When they lived in Maryland, they took us to the White House. We got a Secret Service tour of the White House, back rooms. It was awesome. That was when Kirsten was really little. This is what my sister-in-law, Steph, I want you to recognize your gift. She packed our lunches. How many of you would pack a lunch? Maybe, right? I don't particularly care. She packed our lunches this way. She packed the bread. She packed the bread individually. Why does she pack it? Yellow. 
I almost had a fit of temper. Oh, well. Oh, well. <laughs> I, restra I restrained myself. I restrained myself in the spirit. Anyways, um, this is how you might know that you... I feel like I'm Jeff Foxworthy, you might be a redneck, but you might have the gift of administration if you individually wrap the slices of cheese, the slices of turkey, and the slices of bread, and a little baggie of mayo so that the bread doesn't get soggy. That's not awesome, that's insane. You might have the gift of administration if you are that detail-oriented, and Stephanie has helped to run massive women's ministries in mega churches down in Virginia. She has been so instrumental in blessing that church because she just has that gift of administration. This is who I'm looking for. You can go um, check your email that went out. If you scroll down to the bottom, you'll see that care and compassion ministry. Click on the link that says care and register, okay? and then I'll be contacting you. But if you're really good at organization, this is a ministry for you because we need to do this. Um, we need to love well. Loving well means using our gifts well. That means I'll need someone that will be in contact with police and fire. And we may need to branch out from Hooksit to Allenstown, Pembroke, maybe even into Manchester. And that will need to be organized if you have the gift of mercy, this is the ministry for you. Do you care about people more than other people care? I mean, do you have this, like, someone can look at, so, oh, I'm so, man, that's, that's a bummer, man. That, that really bothers me. But you, you're like, oh, we got to help them. And you are, you just, you're just going above and beyond the call of duty. When you see people in a nursing home, you just yearn to go in comfort. That is the gift of mercy where people look at you and they think you're crazy because you are constantly extending yourself to try to comfort people. Some of you, is the light coming on for some of y'all? Okay. The gift of ministry, the gift of helps, are those people that you just get great fulfillment from helping other people. You don't need to be recognized Matter of fact, in some cases, people with the gift of helps or the gift of ministry, they loathe being recognized. They just want to get in there, get the job done. They don't want to be bothered with recognition or accolades. They just want to serve others. And when they serve others, there's a joy in their heart. And you'll see that, by the way. There's a connection to joy and using your gifts. You that have mercy, when you are caring for people well, there's a joy, right? You that are administration, when you are organizing things and putting things together and, and people and everything is in its perfect place, there's a joy in your heart about that. I've been, listen, I can administrate. It's not my gift. There's almost zero joy when I administrate, okay? I can do it. I'm decent at it. But I have met people who are gifted at it. And it's almost like you can see this whole picture being put together as they, they're just building this thing in their mind. They're not, even, they're not even writing it down on paper yet. They can just can see the whole organization and how everything's going to fit. That's a gift. Church, we need to rise up. If we're going to love well, we need to love our community well. We need to learn how to show our faith to those who are struggling. And then I, I wanted to say that we need to love the body well, and it's the same idea as loving the community well. Taking those 40% that are not connected and monthly sending out some type of communication to let them know someone cares for them, someone loves them, asking them for prayer requests, passing those prayer requests up the line, asking that they want to meet with a pastor. And now that we're in this crisis, I need people who are willing to communicate with our at-risk population, check in on them weekly, call them, text them, set up a plan with them, and we're going to be doing that. Okay? That's loving the body well. Esther, I'm talking about you. We are here for you, and we're going to bother you by checking on you. And you too, too. 
my lunch ladies went up for lunch this week. First people that took me up on dinner with the pastor, right? But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love, and become a, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. The more excellent way, and I'm going to wrap things up here because we're going late. The more excellent way is to operate in love, is to love well. Drop that slide to love well, guys, is to love well. I think part of our problem as a church is that at times the gifted have not been using their gifts. And when we're not using our gifts, we are not loving well. When we're not using our gifts, we're not loving well. It's like hoarding something. It's like if you bought toilet paper and your next door neighbor ran out and you decided not to give them any. It's like having more food in your house than you need, but you found out that your next door neighbor had an empty refrigerator and empty cupboards. It's hoarding. And you say, well, I'm not going to share. If you have the gift of mercy, the gift of administration, and the gift of ministries, and you're not using them in your local church and through your local church, you're not loving well. You're not loving well. And so this, this morning is a challenge. I want to challenge you, church. Rise up. Step in to this dark situation and be that beacon of hope and show people that we are not afraid, that we are going to love well through this, and that we are going to care for people well through this. Hey, all thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources, and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.